I hope that all of you are doing well and experiencing the joy of the Lord and being in the house of the Lord this morning. Church is supposed to be that heavenly glimpse of the eternal presence and love of our everlasting Father. And so I'm so glad that you're here, so glad that we get to worship together. And we are on a quest, we are on a journey together where we are exploring God's Word. And as we do this throughout the course of this year, we've kind of broken down the different parts of Scripture into different segments. In the month of January, we talked about the promises of God that are revealed through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and how we get to see and experience the freedom of God through the Exodus story, through the giving of His Word, that the law is not constraint. It is our joyful response to God's good news of salvation. And then we are in this third section where we're talking about God's people coming back home with Joshua and the period of time that is known as the Judges. The Judges is not like one little section of history. It's hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of years, generation after generation. It is the bloodiest, most chaotic, most difficult defense of home for God's people throughout their history. And last week, Pastor Chuck was here talking about Samson. And while he was here talking about Samson, I was in Israel with a group of people, and I thought of you when I saw this in the Israeli Museum. This is a 10th century before Christ piece of ancient Canaanite pottery, which was used as a part of worship. And I want to show you what the basement level of this piece of clay looks like. It is Samson at the bottom. 3,000 years ago, with the hair and the strength, it is amazing getting to go to the land of Israel and getting to see the archaeological confirmation of the story and the history that we are getting to explore together. And what we are doing today is looking at one of my favorite books in the Old Testament. It is one of my favorites because, again, in the midst of the bloodiest, most chaotic part of Israel's history, there is a love story, a love story that's greater than Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, a love story that's greater than any of the stories that had ever been told. It's the story of Ruth, and it asks the question, is there a love that is greater than the hurt? Is there a love that is deeper than the pain? Is there a love that redeems even through tragedy? And we're going to see the answers to those questions today. If you will, reach for the Bible that you've brought with you on our quest journey or one that we've provided for you in the pew rack in front of you. First five books of the Bible are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Then we get to this period of God inhabiting uh, his people and his people inhabiting the home, and that is Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. And so just four slim chapters. We're going to cover the entire book all in one sermon in 25 minutes from now. Are you excited? All right, so this is going to be like speed dating with God, okay? So let's dive into this and look at Ruth chapter 1, starting in the first verse. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And so a man from where? Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and his two sons, went to live for a while in the country of where? Moab. The man's name was? Elimelech, and his wife's name was 
And the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilion. I had mercy on you with those. And they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and they lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. And they married Moabite women, one of them named Orpah and the other Ruth. And they had lived there about 10 years before Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Five short verses and a lot has happened. And we don't fully appreciate what has happened in such a compact period of time because we don't know the history, we don't know the setting, we don't know the context, and we don't know what all of these crazy names mean. So let me illumine you. Here's a bunch of the names that you got to see. Bethlehem is kind of like two-word name, like New York. It's one word together. It means the house of bread. So there is a, and notice the irony, there is a famine in the house of bread. And they have to flee to a place that's called Moab. Moab is the place of great conflict because this is where Sodom and Gomorrah are located. This is where Lot went. These are some of the great enemies of Israel, the Moabites. They are considered to be unpure and unclean. Moab is a term that means who's your daddy. It is not a nice term. Then you have Elimelech. The man of the house whose name means my God is king. He is faithful. He is married to a woman by the name of Naomi, whose name means pleasant. They have children. They did not name their children well. Malan and Kilion means weak and frail. They go to Moab. Those two children, before they die, those two sons, they actually marry women's names of Orpah, not to be accused, uh, confused with Oprah, and Ruth. There's a famine in the land, and they have to flee to a land called Who's Your Daddy. They marry Moabite women. The Jewish line is passed down through the woman. They marry unfaithful Moabite women And the two sons, Malan and Kilian, die after Elimelech, my God is king, has died. And a woman by the name of Pleasant is left destitute, vulnerable, and with nothing left. And her two daughters-in-law, she tells them, just go on back home. She's going to try to wander her way back to Bethlehem. Orpah, whose name means like the back of your neck, like you have turned your back on someone, does just that. But Ruth refuses. And she gives one of the most famous speeches in the Bible. Verse 16, but Ruth replied, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. The person who talks the most in the first chapter of 
the book of Ruth is Naomi, and she speaks over and over and over again, and the time that she stops speaking is the time she's confronted with the love of Ruth. There is a love that cannot be argued with. There is a love that is inexplicable. There is a love that has a faithfulness and a commitment and a won't-quit nature to it that even in your life's deepest tragedies will make you be still. I always loved Ruth's speech. It's something that's often lifted up at, at weddings. And one of the things that I discovered this year that I had never seen before is that Ruth does not just give any kind of speech. She gives a reaffirmation. And this is why you should read the whole Bible like we're doing this year. She gives the reaffirmation of the Abrahamic covenant. I had never seen this before, that each of the different clauses, let me show it to you here. In Genesis chapter 12, we see God telling Abraham to go. That is where Ruth begins. Where you go, I will go. And then she reiterates, your place will be my place, your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Ruth is not just giving some random words to say, I'm going to stick with you. She is taking on the vow of the conversion of being a part of God's family. And so in the stunned silence of that kind of love from a daughter-in-law to her destitute mother-in-law who has nothing to offer her anymore, they begin the 75-mile or so journey through the wilderness and the desert. Maps often don't mean anything to us. Let me show you a picture from the other side. That is the Dead Sea in the middle. It is the lowest place on earth. Water is scarce. Warring tribes. Two women wandering through that wilderness with the animals and all the frailties of life. And they find their way back to Bethlehem, to the house of bread. And even though Ruth has given to Naomi her highest of faithfulness, this is what Naomi is like when she gets there in verse 20. When she gets to Bethlehem, she says, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me what? Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And so Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Over and over again, the book of Ruth will not just call Ruth, Ruth. They will often refer to her as Ruth the Moabite. So that you don't ever forget, not just that she's a foreigner, but that she's from that circumspect kind of place. And Naomi goes and says, don't call me pleasant. Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. Now, it is perfectly understandable for Naomi to grieve, for her to be in pain, for her to acknowledge the loss. But if we're not careful, the tragedies and the losses of our life 
will turn inward in us and they will become bitterness. And you and I have to be on our guard against what's happening to Naomi to make sure that our life doesn't become bitterness from the inside out. So they get to the the town of Bethlehem and they get there and it's the harvest season and it would have been a, a wheat harvest and what they did in the ancient world of Israel is they didn't glean the edges of the field. So if you were a part of the poor and the hungry, you would get to glean the edges of the field. It was kind of their social security of the age. And this is exactly what Ruth does. And she does this along the edges of a field that's owned by a guy by the name of Boaz who sees her and is like, Who's that? And this is how it responds. This is verse 10 of chapter 2. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground, and she asked Boaz, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you would notice me, a foreigner? And Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread, dip it in the wine vinegar. And when she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. Can you start to hear the violins playing of the love story? That this destitute foreigner is working on the edges of the field and Boaz notices her and it says that she finds favor in his eyes. This is one of the most important of Old Testament words. It occurs 378 times in the Hebrew. It's also the word for grace. When Boaz sees Ruth, he doesn't see a problem, a nationality, an issue. He sees with the eyes of grace. And he offers her not only hospitality, not only protection, because her life would have been in jeopardy. He orders men to keep an eye on her to make sure that nobody takes advantage of her. And then he gives her a blessing by saying, May you be covered under the wings of Almighty God in whom you take refuge. This is an image that will occur over and over and over again in the Bible. And I just want you to put a pin in it because we're going to see this in a little bit. Because the prayer is is that he, as it says in the Psalms, will cover her. That the Lord Almighty will cover her with his wings. And so let's continue in the story. What happens is Ruth get home, gets home, sees how much that, or Naomi sees how much she has, and she says, spill the tea, and this is what happens. 
The Lord bless him, Naomi said to his daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. And she added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Now we need to pause right there because this is not a term that we use in today's society. And this is a little weird. This is a little different. This is known as Leverite marriage. And what happened in that day and age If you sold your property or you lost your property, you had your ability to get that property back through an extended relative who chooses to take on the debt for you and takes on both the family as well, the people as well as the land. It was known as redeeming the person and redeeming the land that they used to have. And the two go hand in hand. And so there was an opportunity for people like in this situation where individuals had moved away or died, there was an opportunity for someone to come and to be able to provide for them. In other words, this is you know, an extended family being a safety net of what is often happens in modern societies with government. So let's apply this to our lives right now, and I want you to just Quietly in your own soul, imagine which in-law you would marry in order to provide for you should your life fall apart. I'm just kidding. You don't need to do that right now. But this was the network. This was the system. This is what provided the wholeness and the redemption for things that were broken to be made right again. And so they find out that Boaz is not just being nice, he's also a guardian redeemer. And the beautiful thing about the story, again with the names, is Boaz's name means swift. Eight weeks goes by and Boaz doesn't do anything at all. And so Naomi and Ruth, like women have had to do for centuries, decide that they have to give Boaz a little nudge. Operation Boaz. And so when the harvest time is towards the end, at the end of the eight weeks, Ruth dresses in her prom dress that she can still fit in from high school. She takes a shower. She puts on some perfume. And while they're at the big event where they would have a celebration when all the harvest would come in and sleep in the room so that they could protect it, Naomi tells Ruth to go in to lay at Boaz's feet and just encourage him. And so that's exactly what she does. Let's read verse 9. Boaz wakes up. Who are you, he asks in the darkness. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are guardian redeemer of our family. This is so audacious. This is Ruth asking Boaz to marry her. And remember how I told you about his blessing, may God provide a covering under his wing for you? This is what Ruth is saying. You need to be the answer to your own prayer. Cover me. Take care of me. Provide for me. Care for me. Help me. Sometimes we need to pray. Sometimes we need to become the answers to our own prayers. 
And this is how Boaz replies. The Lord bless you, my daughter. He replied, this kindness is greater than which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. And all the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. And although it is true that I am guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem her. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. And in the morning, he gives her six grain portions for her to take. This is the sketch that Rembrandt provided of this famous scene in 315. She actually gets six portions of the grain. Why six? Because seven is the number of completion. What he is saying is, I will not rest until I finish this job. And so what happens is, the next day they go out to the gate. Here's a picture of an ancient Canaanite gate. So they go to the edge of the town where the elders are gathered. And that other guardian redeemer who's next in line is there. And they publicly announce that this is available. And the guy says, yeah, I want to buy the property. And then Boaz says, yeah, but it comes with Naomi and Ruth. And the guy says, then I don't want anything to do with it. In other words, that guardian redeemer only wanted the property. He didn't want the responsibility that came with the property. And so as Boaz is next in line... And let's finish the story. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Think of all of the things that we have been through with all of the need and the desperation for an heir and being able to have a son and to be able to pass down the inheritance. And here you have the women of Bethlehem together claiming that Ruth is better than seven sons. It's an amazing, audacious statement. I didn't tell you what Ruth meant earlier. Ruth means faithful friend. There are no divine speeches in the book of Ruth. There are no heavenly visions. There is God working behind the scenes through a faithful friend. And I think that God still does it today. I wrote this down because I wanted to say this just right. Who, like Boaz, will swiftly go outside the gate to pay a price for you? Who will swiftly pay the debt to get your life back? Who will swiftly claim you as his own? Who will swiftly protect you, shelter you under his wings? Who will swiftly welcome you, not as foreigner, but as family, where your emptiness is gone and your wealth is now his to share? And like Ruth, Jesus has left his father's house. Like Ruth, he has become poor so that you might live. Like Ruth, he became rejected so that you might be embraced. Like Ruth, he pledged to be with you to the bitter end and whereby not even death would separate you from his love. For Jesus is your faithful friend. And let me ask you, do you think, do you think when you know the end of the story, 
that what happens is, is that Ruth and Boaz have a son, and that ends up being in the lineage of David, and that ends up being in the lineage of Jesus. And I can't remember how many greats that that is, but there's great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus. And so do you think that Jesus knew a thing or two about his grandparents' love story? That our lives are messy, but there is a redeemer. That our lives are often tragic, but there is a redeemer. That our lives are less than perfect, but there is a redeemer. And that God chooses to often remain behind the scenes, but there's a redeemer because he is a faithful friend. That his is a love that cannot be argued with. That his is a love that does not release. That his is a love that will not let you go. His is a love that gives until the promise is fulfilled. And this is the ultimate true love kind of story. The God's loyal kindness and faithfulness to ordinary people who are pushed to the side of life and yet are redeemed. Do you need to know that God is your faithful friend? Do you need to know that God has not forgotten you? This is a picture of a woman who had to hide as a Jew during the Holocaust in what is today the country of Ukraine. And there was a family who hid her and saved her until she could go to Israel. Over the years, she kept in touch with the family that had rescued her, who saved her. And the story was passed down from generation to generation. And here is the headline of what I saw this last week. That a Jewish girl was saved by a Ukrainian family during World War II. And now her grandchildren are returning the favor. to a woman by the name of Sharon Bass in Israel has been fighting bureaucracy and red tape to find two cousins from Ukraine who helped to rescue her grandmother. They're not family, but they're family. And they've been saved. My friends, God is your faithful friend. And even in the midst of the tragedy, even in the midst of the loss, even in the midst of the confusion and the doubt, there is a divine romance, a heavenly love story. And he will not stop until he's redeemed you. Let's pray. Thank you for your loyal kindness, O God. For in you the hungry are nourished, the empty are filled, and the bitter become sweet again. Will you cover us with the wings of your love? In a violent age, will you tell us of your great love 
Will you bring a great harvest where your grace is found in your eyes as you look upon us? Be our guardian redeemer. Thank you, God, for the witness of Ruth and her willingness to take the vow of what it means to be a part of your holy family. And may we with her go and stay and have a people and follow you as our God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.